All right, this is Mike again, back at PAX Unplugged 2021, and I'm here again with a whole cast of great folks. Uh, I'm here with Mark Anderson from Mondo Kane Publishing. Let me hand the mic to you. Hello, everybody. This is Mark Hugh Anderson from Mondo Kane Publishing, and I have to say that the last time that I saw you face-to-face, Mike, was, I believe, it might have been, in person, PAX 2019, was the last time I saw you in the flesh. That was the last time I saw you face to face. We've connected so many times on video and everything else, but I think the 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 last time I actually saw saw your visage in the flesh was was two years ago, and the, at the last unplugged. So it's wonderful to see you. Great to see you too. And uh, this is Rick Wheeler with uh, Mondo Kane. Yeah, I I think I saw Mike again at PAX East, but you know it's been a it's been a one half of a year where uh, we get to miss out on all these good people and good connections and. You know, while we may have uh, gotten to know each other a lot more via games we played online and things, it's good to sit down again and have these kind of talks. So, uh, yeah, we've been so it's been it's been a rough couple of years for everybody. But one of the cool things that came out of 2021 is that Rick and I decided that we were going to leave Gehenna Gaming um, and spin off our own game development publishing company. Because that was something that we started really digging in when we were working on the Red Opera from Apotheosis Studios. Um, we wrote a scenario for uh, Penny for a Tale's uh, Necrobiotic, and it, we were starting to do supplements. And it got to a point where we had this like creative outflux and outflow of, of inspiration. So at a certain point, all the streaming that we were doing, and that's pretty much what Gehenna Gaming is was is, is mostly streaming content we got to a point of okay we want to focus in on this so let's go off and do our own thing and probably i want to say what like six months developing the concept before talking to anybody about it yeah i think we officially broke off um in august and it was very much a you know we're doing what we like to do best and ian is doing what he likes to do best uh which also includes events uh they are here at pax unplugged which is yeah great running games uh, but yeah no mark and i worked really well together publishing and writing these different books uh to the point where they all flowed together very seamlessly yeah uh and we were able to birth these great scenarios uh with such little uh effort it was such kind of a magic kind of thing so it's something we wanted to definitely keep going and uh mondo kane came out of that and uh so we're looking at some great projects coming up in Q1 of uh, 2022, and uh, shortly after PAX Unplugged, we'll be announcing some more members of our core team, which we've been recruiting slowly, steadily, but purposefully, making sure that we make the right choices, the right connections, and more importantly, get the right people involved. I do want to talk about that for a second, though, because I know that there's a lot of people who come together and say, you know what, let's just make a company and make cool friggin' games, and let's just do it. Um, and you know, because of my background, I'm in marketing, I have two degrees and, uh, you know, Rick and I both have been in this industry and really paying attention to how other people do it. And it seems like there's so many people and so many companies not to you know throw shade, but that they, they approach it and they think that it's going to kind of do it for them. And all you need is passion for the, for the hobby. And it takes a lot more than that. I mean, there, there's, you really have to have like a purposeful and like strategic approach. And that's something that we keep repeating to ourselves over and over again. Let's be purposeful. Let's be strategic. Let's be careful and not rush into things. Um, so it's been, you know, hey, we announced it. Mondocamepublishing.com. Here's our website. Okay, we got a little bit more, but we're not quite ready to really yeah. talk about what games we have because now we're in like seed phase and bringing team together and making sure we're picking the right people, writing a business plan. 
um, you know, talking to uh, printers and like getting all like the logistics and financials and everything else all set. And that's that's just boring as hell for <laughs> a lot of people because it's like, fuck, I just want to roll some dice and make some awesome yeah. games. But it's entirely necessary. And it's, yeah. it's great when you have a great idea and you want to get people together and you've got those friends involved. Uh, but at the same time, excitement's a good wind, but it's for propulsion, but it's not the boat. Yeah. You need a solid structure. Uh, you know, you need a game plan and uh, you got to make sure that you're not making decisions hastily. I like it. Thank you for that kind of introduction to, to Modern Game Publishing. We'll talk a bit more about that as well. Uh, but joining us as well, we have Jen. I'm sorry we didn't go through all of the introductions, but there's a lot of there's a lot of passion, a lot of excitement. Uh, the uh, hi, I'm Jen Brazis. Uh, I go by Savage Sparrow on the internet, and I run Savage Sparrow Studios, a really awesome website for nerdy uh, apparel and accessories. Um, and I've also done a lot of artwork and design for various tabletop games, as well as streaming. I've been on Johanna's streams. Um, Mark was on my stream. Rick's been on my stream. Uh, yeah, we just finished up our Dune game by Modifius. It was incredible. Oh, interesting. Um, but what I wanted to piggyback on saying that is basically like the best advice that you can give anybody going into any sort of, uh, you know, industry where um, passion is used as the fuel to uh, get things things uh, get these things done is basically like make sure you have a plan for you know um, your future beyond just hopes and dreams. Um, you know, look at revenue streams, look at monetization, very much, you know, put those things on paper and plan it out and run those numbers. So that way you can be like, aha, this is something that can be sustainable because hopes and dreams, like you're going to get burnt out. You're going to get upset. You're going to fun into adversity and, uh, bad things. And it's very important that, you know, you can have that on paper to look at and be like, okay, so this is the rough spot right now but this is my plan. I'm going to be okay. I'll make this through because, you know, while it's rough right now, I have a, a plan of attack. It can be really tricky. And Jen's, Jen's a real expert when it comes to her own business with Savage Sparrow Designs. And you go from con to con uh, and sell these amazing shirts. Um, but you're extremely hardworking and, and passionate about these things. Um, and I think you make some good points. You know, if you start off with just the hopes and dreams and wild-eyed excitement the first hurdle you reach or where you really stumble mm -hmm. it, it can really knock all of that wind out of your sails and be a devastating moment and getting up from those moments and able to continue to keep doing things is fantastic but you know if if you don't have the ability to do that or a game plan and you've got people involved who also want you to succeed or that you might have team members uh the whole thing can come crashing down very quickly so the, I think these are all really good points, and hopefully uh, the people who are listening out there, if you're wanting to get into the industry, um, not only like, have a game plan for what you want to do and a uh, foundation and, you know, logistics, but um, I lost my train of thought, so I'm going to pass it to Mark. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my mistake. So we have our, with us as well our, our dear friend Nola Fanger, DJ Toreador, uh, Joe Pitts from Montgomery by Night. Uh, Joe, you probably have a ton of insights as well being in this hello industry. hi i'm back <laughs> um picking backing off what you said um uh doing a dream is fun and then it gets um heartbreaking at some points there is a lot of adverse adverse uh, words english english is my first language you guys uh, yeah and it's sunday <laughs> i've been running games 
running and running again. So I'm trying to get back into the swing of it. So, um, yeah, it's also, it's, it's a journey. It's a journey. It does not happen quickly. Um, but do enjoy it while you're trying to make something. One thing that Mark and I took a, a good long look at before we launched Mondo Kane was other Kickstarters. And, you know, we had worked, like Mark said, with Red Opera and a couple other Kickstarters. But take a good hard look at what other people are doing and see where they succeed, but also see where they stumble and try to learn from those mistakes without suffering them yourself. Uh, that's some great insight. You know, study it before you get into it. Like, really understand not only the industry, but how things work. And um, I think you'd be better off for it if you're trying to get into this. Interesting. You know, Rick, you just opened up a uh, the can of worms right there. And that's the decision. Are you going to go with traditional publishing? Are you going to go with Kickstarter and the kind of more pre-order model? Uh, can you guys at Monocane Publishing kind of give some insight into which path you decide to take? Yeah, so uh, the there's a couple of phases to the business development of Monocane Publishing. Um, and so with each of these thresholds, it's a continued justification of our existence. So as we pass these thresholds, it becomes like a measure of success. That very first measure of success is our first game launch. That game launch is going to be crowdfunded. Whether it's through Kickstarter, I don't know yet. We're still having conversations about that, um, especially with some of the stuff that's going on with Kickstarter now, which I'm not going to get into. Um, but... You know, it will it will be crowdfunded at first, but our long-term plan is to have one big temple title every year, and around that, there's going to be like supplements, community content. Um, we're going to be looking at having material that's not necessarily crowdfunded, but is available through you know uh, the e-commerce website that we're going to be standing up at some point next year. So I guess I hate to say both, but both. But at first, definitely, like crowd, crowdfunding that first game is super, super important to be able to use that money to pay everybody that's involved developing that game, make sure everybody feels good about what we're doing, and then going, okay, with what money that we have left, how can we invest it back into Mondo Kane and start, it in, start the process all over again and just keep going with that momentum? Yeah, keep pushing that engine and turning the next gear on the wheel, so to speak. And it's, I mean, it's difficult, too, because one of the, you know, we're, we're setting ourselves with some, like, pretty lofty goals, but more importantly, some pretty serious standards. Ten cents per word for every single writer is what we're going to be doing for our, our writers. So, um, you know, we're going we're gonna to have a, we're going to be working with freelancers, and that's going to be our standard. That's going to be reflected in the cost of the book. It's going to be reflected in, you know, some of the, you know, some of the pricing models. So, yeah. you know, Mondo Kane Publishing books are not going to be, they're not going to be cheap, but they are going to be high quality. 10 cents per word is way above the usual industry standard. That's, that's pretty incredible right there. And that's, that's uh, very, very respectable. It, it needs to be the standard. And yeah. <laughs> until people start making it the standard, it, it won't happen. So that's one of the reasons why we wanted to do it. Yeah, and, and we know that, they, that we can do it because we've worked with other publishers. Apotheosis Studios did 10 cents per word with us. Um, and when we asked, we're like, can we ask that? Like, what do we ask, like six cents, seven cents? Are you sure, Mark? Yeah, it's like, let's, go, let's shoot high, and then maybe they can talk us down, and we'll be fine with seven cents. And we said, can we do 10 cents per word? And Rick Hines is, is said, yeah, sure. Like, it was nothing. 
and then you know we worked with you know some other some other publishers and they they said the same thing so I, we were seeing a trend that yes was an answer every single time which shows to me why are there these other companies that are saying no to 10 cents per word it doesn't have to be that high but like it, we're talking three cents to five cents per word and i think honestly part of it has to do with the fact that you have uh i'm gonna make some pretty i don't want to i want to i don't want to get myself into trouble but there's a there's a standard with these companies where they run very very thin with like three to five people on the core team and those are the people that get all of that end up getting all of that profit. Um, I have a day job. <clears throat> it's a very good day job. I'm 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 blessed and privileged enough to have a day job that keeps, you know, food on the table to feed my family, to have a roof over the head. And I'm not going to turn that off and stop working that job while doing Mondo Kane. So Mondo Kane is definitely going to be a passion project while I also have my real job or day job. So we'll be able to do things like, okay, I'm not selling this book because I'm hungry. I'm selling this book because I'm passionate. Yeah, and, and you love the industry, telling stories, and being respectful of the people's time who are on our core team. Yeah. You know, do not set a, a set ship date, especially when shipping dates are around the world and the whole process is being kind of slowed down. You know, so expect when we do launch books and Kickstarters to see uh, like more of like a Q1 uh, delivery because A, we, we all have lives, we have day jobs, families, and uh, the people on our board, our team, we wanna treat them right, pay them well. Uh, one thing we like to see is, we saw a lot of Kickstarter goals that were a lot of content, but over the last year, they've included some that were, uh, hey, we wanna pay our writing team more, or our art team more, and Yeah, that's, we like, uh, that's what I was gonna piggyback off of, stuff. is uh, basically like, it is definitely um, a trend that I've really been enjoying seeing. Um, I, uh, I just got off of a project with uh, uh, Mora, the cinematic game system by uh, another indie publisher, Mighty Narwhal. Um, and uh, what was really cool about the way they did the book is um, you know, me and the other artists they hired, uh, we got paid first and they made sure we're like, we wanna give you your full rate. Um, and the core team of writers was flat out just like, look, we are not paying ourselves until our freelancers and our artists get paid first because we understand that you guys are doing all of this work up front. You don't know if you're going to see a return and we don't want to be those people paying you on the back end. That is uh, basically for those listening an industry term where after things get done and made, you get a percentage of a percentage and maybe you'll see like 10 bucks out of it or something like that. Because usually like the unfortunate thing is indie titles like don't run the giant numbers that like the you know main state titles do um but what was really cool is that you know as each kickstarter milestone was hit um you know it was literally that thing of hey we're gonna raise our uh uh our per word count for our writers so that way you get um all of our writers get a raise and it it makes you feel good also as a consumer because it's like cool um, you know, I'm backing this project and in raising these goals, uh, the people who are making the thing are actually getting paid a far more decent wage than just labor of love. I do enjoy the stretch goal that helps pay, that, you know, gives the raises to the artists or the writers and everything else. But at the same time, I feel like, um, there, I can't help but to feel a little weird about how that's become a necessary addition instead of like an industry push for everyone going, this is not easy. 
but, and it's we're probably going to take a little bit of a loss for a shorter period of time. But if we all, as an industry, push to make sure that the people who are actually doing the pushing of the pens and the and the brushes to get paid, I think that's one step of it. The stretch goal thing is one step of that. But if everyone starts doing that, I think that it'll it'll help normalize that, especially with with our rate of, of um, um, inflation, the the high cost of, of paper. There's a paper shortage going on right now. Printing and, and shipping right now is not only slow, it's also more expensive. So we have to adjust. That's really interesting and uh, great things to consider. Now, one thing I want to uh, get the insight uh, on from uh, Jen and Joe, and, and also you know, Mondo Kane in general, but I'm not sure how much you can really talk about this at the moment, uh, is kind of talking about the visuals and graphic design. Because you know, when we look at traditional publishing with, say, say just like novel publishers, you know, the, uh, the big publishing companies in New York, they're really just in the business of moving dead trees. You know, that's really what they care about is how many dead trees can we sell. But here with RPGs, really focused on experiences, and the visuals are a large part of that. So I was wondering what insights uh, the two of you could give, uh, both from, you know, from publishing books and, you know, making shirts or just running a stream, uh, how much uh, the visuals uh, kind of play into, you know, getting people involved, getting people excited, and how that development can uh, kind of originate with, uh, with the games. Oh, boy. Um, because I'm not currently publishing anything right now, but I try to use every free tool that I can find because I do know how expensive it is for graphic design and I am not an artiste. I did not do well in graphics class or any of that, so you're not going to get it out of me. So um, what I've been doing for my players and for the people who follow the stream, and I started making um, the renditions of how I expected or assumed them to be in my head uh, through Art Breeder. Our breeder has been really helpful with me and I've been able to like punch out, not punch out, sounds rude. I've been able to sit there arduously for hours creating the perfect person so people can see who they are and get that visual representation so they can like, ah, okay, so this is the low life I want to punch in the chest. And I'm like, okay, well, yeah, this is how he looks and this is his quirk and whatnot. And um, I put it on Instagram so they can, if for not just my players, but for anybody who follows River Region Studios or the, the story and want to know, like, well, how does Baron so-and-so look? And I'm like, there they are right there. Or, and I put NPCs up there, too. Um, again, I try to use every free tool that I can. Um, for the stream itself, I ask people, and some people are really kind, or they're just like, Joe, you know, you've been really helpful. You, We love you. I'll do this for you for free. And I'm like, okay, that takes money out of my pocket. Or, um, and usually I'm... I'm Southern, so I'm just like, I mm, I have to pay you something. I have to. And then usually people are just like, no, no, no. And I'm like, I have to pay you something. Even if it's like, I can give you money to go to Burger King. Like, I, I'm i usually very hard about accepting things like that, people just being kind, because it's still a new phenomenon for me, people actually being genuinely kind to me. Um, I don't think I'm, I'm not that big of a person, so I'm just like, eh, you doing this uh, means more than platinum, tungsten, all the rare metals. So um, that's how I've been doing every free tool I can possibly find. And um, networking, talking to good people, um, building up that trust with people. And um, usually if they've just not really met me or like they like they heard of me, I was like, you know, I'll offer my services and you like run a game with me in it and you'll see how you do it. And usually I get a good return. A lot of people are just like, wow. 
never thought about that. You should you should hang with us. You should hang with us, and we'll we'll do what we need for you. Um, all that good stuff. Um. Well, yeah. So basically, again, like I, I admit, uh, as an artist, uh, I have very biased opinions about uh, the importance of art and books. <laughs> Uh, but basically, you know, um, the, the bummer of the thing is that, uh, as much as people say, don't judge a book by its cover, everybody judges books by their cover. Um, I, uh, I, one of the many odd jobs I've had is also doing art for board games. And, um, I lurk on some retailer groups, uh, and retailers will specifically look at board games and be like, I can't have this in my store because this does not draw eyeballs. Um, so it's the same thing too for like tabletop games. Like you think about like, um, you know, what draws your eye to look at, uh, what this book is about. And as a, an artist and a designer, uh, it is very important that, you know, you, you have like what, three seconds or whatever to capture somebody's attention enough to make them take that leap and that chance to pick that book off the shelf, open it up. And determine what's inside it um so like uh what was uh uh when i did the logo for necrobiotic it was um very much um a thing where there's this beautiful image that they have of um the person with the tear down their face and it says so much about what this book is and it's really uh eye capturing if you are listening to this please just google necrobiotic it's a gorgeous image and um with logo design you really want it to be able to stand out on its own so um but also not be something that will overwhelm the cover you need it to be supportive of the thing and make it look cohesive as a uh, part of the mainstay piece uh so like i went through like so many different iterations to try to like find that perfect thing that could like yeah exactly um, support what it was while similarly like being something visually interesting that can stick out in your mind uh, as like oh this was really cool I want to know more <laughs> it's almost like you're walking uh, down the street and you're passing by uh, a number of restaurants yeah. you're gonna go to the one that smells amazing mm -hmm. uh, tabletop role-playing games are evocative of all the senses mm -hmm. um, maybe not so much touch unless you like to hold a book or whatever but you know, the, like you said, Jen, you got like you got like three seconds to sell this. Um, the book's gonna have tons of words, tons of mechanics, tons of lore to read, but you're not gonna get there until uh, you see something that speaks to your mind, whether it's the the visuals, the layout. Well, uh, the other thing I really want to say, um, and again, something that has been um, an, uh, something up and coming in the industry as things have changed and um, people are becoming more open is um that uh, art directors are finally at this place of like hey we want to be really more inclusive with um different body types people of color different sexualities and stuff like that the reason i love working with Mon uh, mighty narwhal is they were just like every ridiculous idea i had they uh they were just completely like go for it just do it so like uh and the brief specifically was like we don't want to see like thin white people in every single thing so i had um the the pieces i were doing i was doing for the book it's very cinematic themed and uh so they were all storyboards which was really cool because in uh illustrating the school's magic instead of a still image it's a storyboard so it also helps 
the people playing the game see visually what this would look like as they're role-playing it out. So the, for the necromancy magic, uh, my idea was to have a uh, plus-size woman in a husband-killer robe raising the husband that she killed to continue to serve her. Iconic. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I'm just like, and it, it was one of those, like, again, really dumb 3 a.m. ideas where I'm just like, I'm captured by this image of, like, having this, like, gorgeous plus-size woman doing this thing. And, uh, and uh, you know, my art director was like, do it. Um, but what was really, really cool about it, though, is like when I put it out there as one of the teaser images, I got so many comments from all these uh, other women who were just like, I have never seen my body type represented in this way, in a way where I'm sexy, I'm powerful. Or even, or even like, oh well, uh, I have to play the weird-looking orc. Yeah. Like I, I was a, I was a like a, a weird-shaped snaggletooth kid. So it's like, I guess I'll be the goblin again. <laughs> uh, but do you, when you're going through these books and you see, like yourself or other types of people, first of all, it feels more real because that's how reality is. Yes. Right. Like we're walking around this convention. There's there's various different types of people from various different backgrounds of various different colors and so seeing that reflected in the books is extremely important and at the same time you don't feel alienated exactly because it's like oh i can be sexy i can be a hero i don't have to be comic relief i can be like the super uber brooding yeah person and i that and looks I, like me. I think that like that is something that's also really important about the art in these books is that you know again because you can write down like oh yeah this is an all-inclusive table blah 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 but seeing it yeah. um and having it physically in front of you and you know again with that thing of like this is a commitment um you know we're not just saying a thing like we are showing you that this is this is the real world of this you know fantasy world <laughs> that you're playing in we're going to use tabletop role-playing games to trick you into role-playing to love yourself. So, I support that. I support that. And I also I wanted to piggyback off what um, you were saying, Mark, about um, and what you said about how having representation in there and having it actually not be like a comic relief or like you being pigeonholed into these certain type of roles. Literally just came from a panel about that yesterday talking about being a black person playing Dun Dungeons and Dragons and then you're describing your character, particularly if you like elves, because I love elves. Right. And they were like, oh, they're they're brown and they're they're dark. And they was like, oh, a drow. And they immediately push you into that drow. And right. I was like, no, it's just, it's a black person who is an elf. And I was like, well, that's not canonically. I was like, These well, you're playing elves and dwarves <laughs> and orcs. It has to be. Yeah, it, it, is na it is now. It, it is now. Typically it wasn't, and that was weird that it wasn't, but it is now. And then that's what I did with my vampire stories. Like when yeah. I, well, I was talking, well, you mentioned you got comments. I've gotten a lot of comments and like personal DMs from people who've seen the show, particularly a lot of black folks. They were just like, this is so refreshing to see black people as black people, not as caricatures or like um, how media representation of black people yeah. as being thuggish and criminal and all stuff like that. Like these people are, of course, monsters because they're vampires, but there is like, the outside world is in this story, but it's not that it's, it's um, heavily saturated to that point that people are just like, this is a little too real. Like yeah. I, 
I try to get away from all of that because I was like, people need to be represented. And I've also gotten comments that were like, why are the white people evil? And I was like, they're not necessarily evil. I don't try to do that. It's just <laughs> when you mentioned earlier about how the, you see these people and you're just like, they like people you can know. Yeah. A lot of these people, particularly the, everybody that I've created, NPC-wise, anything, is like, these are people that I have met in life. Um, particularly the Baron that everybody loves, Myra, who's a Ventru, a former... Uh, uh, she was a plantation owner's daughter and she was high society and they hate her simply because of that. And she is one of those people that makes that wonderful comment that white people like to make. She said, I'm not racist. All my workers are black and her, all her workers are black, but she's just like, immediately when I said that people were just like, okay, is she able to die? And I was like, <laughs> I mean, you can try to kill her and then someone has tried to, but Watch the story to find out about what happened with that, but I do try to put representation of people. There are people who are queer. There are people who are um, not, I guess, physically, what people consider physically attractive. There are people, and they're not just pushed into Nasiratu. They're just like average people who are out there and they walk in the streets who they meet. Um, they met Duncan. Duncan, <laughs> the frat boy, um, he was experimenting with makeup and he cut his hair and he liked to drink a lot and he partied and everybody was like, and then he became a vampire and yeah. he never lost to that humanity side. Well, I think that's important, especially kind of goes back to that question about art. You know, it's there. These are referential points and you can have like a list of in a book, a bulleted list on white paper of here's the, what the game is. Here's some descriptors. Here are the mechanics. But without the without the artwork, there's there really isn't any real referential points to really fully understand what the world feels like, what the, how you're supposed to interact with the lore or with the, with the scene or with the people that you're playing with. What is like tonally, it sets the tone, it sets the mood. And it is through the, through the lens and perspective of the people that do develop the game. So if you, you know, we have a few values on our website that, you know, we've specifically etched out. Um, that includes the import underlining the importance of having a, a diverse set of people with a diverse set of ideas and perspectives in order to make our games feel livable, that you can live in the setting because it feels real. Otherwise, you're just living in this really unusually accidental power fantasy of someone who just doesn't want a particular type of person in their game or uh, or in their world. And it, it's, it turns into a really ugly, ugly place unless you're really, really purposeful about you know, in, including all walks of life. It's like you can't explore strange new worlds if you don't respect uh, and love the one that you have that's real. All right. So I think we, uh, Jen, Jen's taking off right now. Hi, Jen. Hi. Um, but I actually, I did want to start kind of wrapping up the episode. Um, and that's, that was all really great content. I really appreciate the, uh, you know, just, just honest, honest discussion of everything. Um, so... <laughs> you just handed off the mic and I'm about to be like, so Mark and Rick, like, uh, I don't know like how much you can really talk about and announce, but, uh, do you want to just give at least some kind of vague, uh, foretelling of what might be coming next for Monocane Publishing? Yeah. So right now we are, um, we're, we're doing a lot of guest writing and, and, uh, content support for, for other game developers. Um, but you know, we've really been focusing on bringing the team together. So after PAX, um, you can expect there's, um, we're going to be kind of teasing out 
announcements of, of each new person that's joined our team. Um, we have not filled all of, I guess, positions of, of our structure. So we're still one of the one of the goals that we have is to, you know, get some of those people talking with us to see if there's somebody who can kind of fill those little gaps that we have. But um, after PAX, um, you know, starting this week, probably the first announcement is going to be made. And then week by week, and um, we're going to be announcing everybody. Q1, we're going to have our first game um, announcement. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to be releasing a game. It means that we're going to be announcing, like, the method, the channel in which we're doing the uh, crowdfunding, um, what the game it might, uh, is going to be, a short descriptor, and then just start kind of building a little bit of a buzz. Um, we have a, a, a game system that we've already designed and, and worked through months oh geez even a year i think it was a year ago when we finished that that game system right yep and we were hoping to uh, implement it or will implement it uh with all of the games that we design that are our own personal ip yeah so, so when you play one mondo Kane publishing game you can play them all because you know exactly what the system's like um and for those dice goblins out there it's going to use um the standard uh and uh, D, uh seven set of dice so yeah uh, if you've got like some kind of crazy moon opal that you bought uh, from Pax Unplugged and other great uh, dice places, uh, you can use them with our games. Yeah, and still feel like you made good on your investment. Yeah, that was that's what, that was actually a big part of us developing that game system because there's so many people in, investing in the click clacks that they love so much, and it's like, well, I could play D and D, and then maybe one other game that is based on D and D, and that's about it. So what we wanted to do is we wanted to be able to like look at the market, see how people are are buying these things, and want to add value to the dice that they're buying so i think the first game is 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 going to be probably uh a little noir maybe a little sci-fi um and a little bit of a little bit of horror mixed in but we're we're going to be developing games that are you know in science fiction in in high and low fantasy comedy comedy yeah uh, tongue-in-cheek satire you know we're basically going to be developing games that are um, evocative of the strange and occult and that venerate esotericism um you know unusual fun fantastical things so you know don't be surprised if at some point you see a kids game from us don't be surprised if someday you know you see not just tarot cards but also playing cards um so we have we have some pretty big long-term goals yeah, and supplements and tools for GMs and players alike uh, to get them kind of get those creative juices flowing. Uh, all of this is because people love to tell stories. We love to tell stories, and uh, you know we want to see the industry not only grow but to support the people that are in it. So this is kind of our way of championing that cause. Yeah, that's awesome, and that's all stuff that I think is going to really interest listeners of Darker Days Radio. So I think everyone's going to really appreciate that. Uh, so Rick, where can people find Mondo Kane Publishing? Uh, you can find us uh, on Twitter at, uh, I think it's just at Mondo Kane Publishing. It's at Mondo Kane Pub. Mondo Kane Pub. Darn Twitter limits. <laughs> yeah. And uh, what's, the, uh, what's the website? <laughs> website is uh, MondoKanePublishing.com. And uh, you can find me at uh, there and everywhere Mondo Kane is, as well as at Oops All Setite, uh, <laughs> which is pretty much my handle all over the place. You can find me on Twitter at Marchosius with fives instead of S's, but I'm more concerned about you following um, at Mondo Kane Pub. Um, that's the primary vehicle of, of you know output of information between the Twitter account and our website um, MondoCanePublishing.com. We also have a Facebook, but you know I think Twitter is going to be you know the 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 main organic channel of promotions. Um, we have blogs that are that we're putting out one blog every month at least, and 
we're being as transparent as possible with everybody and we're going to start treating it like a uh, game dev diary so that you know as we're developing these games people know what's going on and and hopefully maybe use it if they want to do something on their own and, and get insights from it Awesome. And we mentioned that Jen had to leave, but uh, you can check out her work over at SavageSparrow.com. Uh, in fact, there is a t-shirt design right here that is a raccoon in sunglasses with a gold chain that says, Eat Trash, Do Crime, and I'm going to go buy that right now. Jen has some amazing designs, and uh, and it's just a, a wonderful person. And for all the listeners out there, um, you know, this is Darker Days Radio. You can check us out over at Darker-Days.org and all the other places. And uh, yeah. Take it easy, have a good night, and stay safe out there. This has been an episode of Darker Days Radio. Special thanks to Occam's Laser for the intro, outro, and new bumper music from their hit album, Nine Circles. Check out the rest of their work at occamslaser.bandcamp.com. Thank you.